Today I'm continuing the series of sermons entitled Love One Another in which I want us to look at the many ways in Scripture that we are instructed about how we should treat one another, especially how we should treat one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Scripture is very clear that we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, are called to a very different set of rules. We simply cannot live as the world lives, especially in our relationship with other Christian brothers and sisters. Today I want us to look at the next of these requirements about uh, as part of loving one another, and that command is that we be generous to one another. I probably should say that this is be generous to one another, one, because the next sermon I preach will be be generous to one another, two, in which I consider some other aspects of generosity. But to begin today, I want us to look at the words of the Apostle Paul as found in the first letter to Timothy. This is 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19. Hear now this, which is the word of the Lord. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word. As a little background for this message, Paul is writing here to Timothy. Timothy was his longtime friend and assistant. He had uh, Timothy had begun to travel with Paul in the second missionary journey when he, when he was probably only about 17 years old or so, and he later became the most important of Paul's representatives. At this point in time, which is fairly late in Paul's ministry, Timothy is in Ephesus, the great city in Asia Minor, what we know of today as Turkey, where Paul had spent three years of ministry. Paul had spent a longer period of time in Ephesus, that city, than any other single place where he traveled and ministered. And when he left Ephesus to go to Macedonia, he left behind Timothy in order for Timothy to take charge of the church there, to lift up some of the leaders, to train them, to prepare the church for all that God intended. So here Paul is writing back to Timothy and giving him specific instructions as to how he should lead and teach the Christians in Ephesus, in this case, about being generous. First, Paul tells Timothy to command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Now, Ephesus was a wealthy city in the day of uh, Paul and Timothy. It was a port city, one of the most important trade cities in the whole region of the Aegean Sea, and it was home to many beautiful temples and homes. If you go to Ephesus today, and I, I hope a lot of you have, I see some grins, how many people have been to Ephesus? Well, in recent years, actually since the first time we were there, they have started excavating uh, some of what they call the terrace houses. Now, overall, Ephesus is one of the most important and most interesting archaeological sites in the world today. It is a fascinating place to go. But there, it is, it, the city was full of temples, beautiful temples, public restrooms, you know, with flushing toilets, basically. I won't, I'll talk, come to Pastor's Forum, I'll explain how that worked. And these terrace houses, which they've begun to uh, now excavate, which were built up a hill, steep hillside, so that the roof of one house was the terrace of the house above it, these houses are extraordinary. They huge rooms, 
beautiful mosaics in the floor, uh, wall murals painted on the walls, indoor plumbing, fountains, astonishing things. Ephesus was a wealthy trade city. So Paul is writing to Timothy about leading the church there, and he's telling him, in fact, he says that Timothy is to say to the wealthy Christians of Ephesus, he's to command them, okay, people get upset with me when I suggest things. Paul tells Timothy, command them, the wealthy Christians of Ephesus, not to be arrogant about their wealth, not to rely on their prosperity, but instead to rely on God. And it's important for us to realize, Paul is not just writing this for Timothy. There's a reason why this scripture has come down to us almost 2,000 years later, and that's because Paul, by the direction from God himself, is also telling us how we are to act. He is telling us not to rely so heavily on our money and on our material possessions. He is speaking to the wealthy. Make no mistake, these words are especially for us today. Whether you are from the United States or Canada or Western Europe, and there may be a few exceptions to that here, still we are the wealthiest people in the history of the world. We come from the wealthiest nations that have ever been known, that have ever existed in all of human history. Now granted, you may not feel wealthy sometimes, especially when your credit card bill comes in, compared to the millionaires and billionaires and celebrities that we see and read about all the time. But the simple fact is, if you have a telephone, or a television, or a car, or indoor plumbing, or a secure roof over your head, or more than one set of clothing to wear, if you have any of those things, and I venture to say that most of you have all of those things, then you are among the very wealthiest people that have ever lived on our planet. You are far wealthier than most of the people that Paul is writing to Timothy about. So these words are for us, as much as they are for the Ephesians in the first century. We are told not to be arrogant, especially about our wealth. First, because our wealth is fleeting. It is uncertain, as Paul says, as all the things in this life are uncertain. In the 12th chapter of Luke's gospel, Jesus tells a parable about this. He tells a parable about a man who is so wealthy, he's had such a good grain crop that he's concerned that his barns can't hold it all. I read you now from the 12th chapter of Luke, beginning in the 15th chapter. And, and this is Jesus speaking. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store all my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will we'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. It really doesn't get any clearer than that. Life is short, it is uncertain, wealth is fleeting, 
And if that is what we're depending upon, then it is inevitable that we are going to be rudely, perhaps even fatally, disappointed. Just ask the many celebrities who work so very hard to achieve fame and power and money only to then realize that when they've achieved all those goals, they are futile and empty and do not satisfy. This is why so many celebrities, so many of the wealthy end up in their frustration for not finding satisfaction in those things, killing themselves either directly or through the abuse of substances, drugs or alcohol, etc. It happens over and over and over again. The list is extensive of those who wished to be rich, powerful, known, and when they got there, they end up destroying themselves because they find out that's in no way satisfying. But Paul gives us an alternative. The alternative, the only alternative, the only reliable place where we can put our hope and faith that will satisfy. We are to put our hope in God. The one place that will not be affected by a downturn in the market or a natural disaster or illness or failed dreams or empty promises or even death. Paul is telling us to put our hope in the one place, in the one being that will never change and on whom we can always rely. God. And Paul goes further. He points out to us that it is in fact God who has provided everything we have in the first place. All good things come from God. And Paul tells us, God generously has given us everything we have for our enjoyment. Have you ever thought, have you ever thought about that? That God blesses us with so much in our lives because he wants us to be able to enjoy ourselves? God does not want for us to be broken and needy. God wants for us to have the things that we require in life, but even more that we can enjoy. Not just material possessions in terms of money and possessions. But as we discussed this past week in our Old Testament theology class, we were talking about God's creation, and we talked about the fact that there's a reason that the world is full of so much beauty, color, and plant life, and flowers, and music, and wonderful flavors. Why is it that God doesn't just give us tasteless gruel that has all the vitamins and nutrition we need, but instead gives us these unbelievable flavors in our food? so that we not only are sustained, but that we can enjoy them. God wants us not only to survive, He wants us to experience a life full of wonder and blessings so that we can enjoy our lives. So how do we respond to all these blessings? Again, Paul is very clear here. Because we have been blessed with all these things, we are not to be greedy and grabby and possessive of the blessings we've received, but instead, in gratitude, we are commanded to do good. We are to realize we have been made rich in these blessings so that we may be rich in good deeds. We are ordered to be generous and willing to share with others. You see, God gives us material blessing and benefits for two reasons, actually. The first one, as I've already said, as Paul says here, so that because God wants us to enjoy ourselves. He wants us to enjoy our lives. But secondly, God wants us to share the blessings he's given us with others who do not have as much. 
I've talked many times before about how it is that in a mysterious way, God chooses to work through us and with us to make his will known and to share his blessings with others in the world. God wants to give us so that through us, he can give to other people. I once read a Pogo cartoon. You remember Pogo? I once read a Pogo cartoon that has stayed with me for all these many years. In this cartoon, one of the characters is speaking to another one of the characters, and he says he spoke to God and he asked God, why do you not do something about the hungry people in the world? Why don't you feed them? Why don't you cure their illnesses and give them clean water and safe homes? Why don't you protect and care for those who are weak? And the second character asks, well, what did God say in response? God asked me the same questions. God has given us the privilege, the honor to be his representatives, to feed the hungry, care for the sick, provide clean water and safe homes and protect the weak. And when we ask God, why aren't you doing that, God? God says, well, why aren't you doing that? I have given you the resources that you need to do exactly that. God tells us that he provides us with more than we really need, not just so we can build bigger barns and store it for ourselves, but so we can share it with others who need it. God involves us in the distribution of the blessings to others if we are obedient. He has commanded us to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, and to share with others. But all too often, we instead try to hoard everything we can for our own sakes, even far beyond what we can use or need ever. And then Paul says a very mysterious thing to Timothy here in 1 Timothy 6. And so he says this to us. He says that we are that as we are generous to those in need, we are in fact, and I quote here, laying up treasures for ourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. We've all heard the adage, you can't take it with you. Once in the New Yorker, I saw a cartoon and a fellow who was on his deathbed said, you know, being of sound mind and body, I am taking it with me. <laughs> I'm sorry you can't do that. It's often been said, you have never seen a hearse with a U-Haul being pulled behind it. It's simply true. We bring nothing into this world. We can take nothing out with us when we go. But here Paul is telling us a strange and wonderful thing. Randy Alcorn, a popular Christian writer who has written a lot about stewardship and our relationship to, to the possessions we have, Randy Alcorn summed it up this way. While you cannot take it with you, you can send it on ahead. This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that when we are generous and we share with others the blessings that God has entrusted to us, we, in effect, are sending it on ahead. We, in a literal but admittedly mysterious way, are storing up treasure for our future in heaven, which is what Paul means by the coming age. When we are generous to others, when we share with others, when we do good deed to others, this in some way is being credited to our account and is waiting for us when we get to heaven. Now, we don't, or at least I confess I don't, know exactly how that works. 
It's not the prosperity gospel. It's not if you give God $10, he has to give you 1000 That's a lie from the pit of hell. I don't expect there are going to be ATMs in heaven that will allow me to access all the money that I tried to use generously in this life, but I don't know. Who knows? Heavenly ATMs. However it works, the point is that the generosity we show now, our willingness to give to meet the needs of others now, has eternal consequences, not just for those that we seek to bless, but for us. We will receive benefit from our generosity many times over, and not only in the joy we can have from helping people in need now, and there is great joy. If you've never experienced it, you're missing it. There is great joy in being able to help people now. But there are also blessings that God has promised He is storing up for us and for our benefit in heaven. It is a mystery, but it's true. And Paul finishes this comment to Timothy, and again to us, by saying that this kind of life, a life of sharing and doing good deeds and being generous, is what life is supposed to be all about. That is supposed to be at the core of our lives. That's why he calls it the life that is truly life. Not some false, shallow, mistaken expectation that the purpose of life is to get as much money and as many toys and as much power as we can. That's not really life. The life that is truly life is when we take the blessings of God and we are generous with them and we share them and we do good with them. That is the way it's meant to be. Can you imagine what life would be like for us if everyone here, just the people in our church, Lakeside Presbyterian, really learned to live by these kinds of principles of good works and generosity? Now make no mistake, we have a very generous congregation. You are generous people. You are generous with your time and you're generous with your money, which is why we could build this church in three and a half years with no debt. You all do much better than a lot of other congregations, a lot of other Christians, but we could do more. I say that because I read the description of the early church in Jerusalem following the ascension of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit. At the end of the second chapter of Acts, after the Holy Spirit has been given, we read this about the early church. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They had everything in common. When they needed to care for the needs of someone else, if, if they had to, they sold their possessions in order to take care of one another. And the result of that was that they grew in the favor, grew in favor with God and with all people, and every day numbers were being added to those who were being saved. Wonder what the key to church growth is? Loving, sharing, being generous, showing what it means to have a life that is focused on God and not upon all the false standards that the world has of accumulating money and power and influence and material possessions. There is nothing inherently wrong with that. God gives us things for our enjoyment. <clears throat> money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. 
But I pray that as we think about how we are to use the blessings God has given us, how we are to share those, may we find the grace to live generous lives so that with the early church as our model, we can put our hope in God, do good deeds, be generous, and share with one another. Amen.